0: Chapter 21 of The Lone Wolf. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Tomko. The Lone Wolf by Louis Joseph Vance. Chapter 21. Apostate. He was singularly free from any sort of exaltation over the manner in which he had at once compassed his own escape and brought down catastrophe upon his self-appointed murderers. His mood was quick with wonder and foreboding and bewilderment. The more closely he examined the affair, the more strange and inexplicable it bulked in his understanding. He had not thought to defy the pack and get off lightly but he had looked for no such overt effort at disciplining him so long as he kept out of the way and suspended his criminal activities an unwilling recruit is a potential traitor in the camp and retired competition isn't to be feared so it seemed that wertheimer hadn't believed his protestations or else Bannon had rejected the report which must have been made him by the girl in either case the pack had not waited for the lone wolf to prove his insincerity it hadn't bothered to declare war it had simply struck with less warning than a rattlesnake gives it had struck out of the dark at his back and so lanyard swore grimly even so would he strike now that it was his turn now that his hour dawned but he would have given much for a clue to the riddle why must he be saddled with this necessity of striking in self-defense? Why had this feud been forced upon him, who asked nothing better than to be let alone? He told himself it wasn't altogether the professional jealousy of de Morbihan, Popinot, and Wertheimer. It was the strange, rancorous spite that animated Bannon. But again, Why? Could it be that Bannon so resented the aid and encouragement Lanyard had afforded the girl in her abortive attempt to escape? Or was it, perhaps, that Bannon held Lanyard responsible for the arrest and death of George? Could it be possible that there was really anything substantial at the bottom of Wertheimer's wild yarn about the pretentiously named International Underworld Unlimited, was this really a demonstration of purpose to crush out competition and hang the expense or was there some less superficially tangible motive to be sought did bannon entertain some secret personal animus against michael lanyard himself as distinguished from the lone wolf debating these questions from every angle but to no end he worked himself into a fine fury of exasperation vowing he would consummate this one final coup sequestrate himself in england until the affair had blown over and in his own good time return to paris to expose de Popenot utterly drive wertheimer into permanent retirement at dartmoor and force an accounting from bannon though it were surrendered together with that invalid's last wheezing breaths in this temper he arrived past one in the morning under the walls of the hotel amber and prudently selected a new point of attack in the course of his preliminary examinations of the walls it hadn't escaped him that their brick and plaster construction was in bad repair he had marked down several spots where the weather had eaten the outer coat of the plaster completely away at one of these midway between the avenue and the junction of the side streets he hesitated as he had foreseen the mortar that bound the bricks together was all dry and crumbling it was no great task to work one of them loose making a foothold from which he might grasp with a gloved hand the glass-toothed curbing cast his ulster across this for further protection, and swing himself bodily atop the wall. But there, momentarily, he paused in doubt and trembling. In that exposed and comfortless perch, the lifeless street on one hand, the black mystery of the neglected park on the other, he was seized and shaken by a sudden revulsion of feeling like a sickness of his very soul. Physical fear had nothing to do with this, for he was quite alone and unobserved. Had it been otherwise, faculties trained through a lifetime to such work as this, and now keyed to concert pitch, would not have failed to give warning of whatever danger his grosser senses might have overlooked. Notwithstanding, he was afraid as though fear's very self had laid hold of his soul by the heels, and would not let it go until its vision of itself was absolute. He was afraid with a great fear, such as he had never dreamed to know. Who knew well the wincing of the flesh from risk of pain, the shuddering of the spirit in the shadow of death, and horror such as had gripped him that morning in poor Roddy's bedchamber? But none of these had in any way taught him the measure of such fear as now possessed him, so absolute that he quaked like a naked soul in the inexorable presence of the Eternal. He was afraid of himself in panic terror of that ego which tenanted the shell of functioning sensitive stuff called michael lanyard he was afraid of the strange silent incomprehensible self lurking occult in him that masked mysterious self which in its inscrutable whim could make him fine or make him base that self impalpable and elusive as any shadow yet invincibly strong his master and his fate in one the grave of yesterday the cup of to-day, the womb of to-morrow. He looked up at the tired, dull faces of those old dwellings that loomed across the way, with blind and lightless windows, sleeping without suspicion that he had stolen in among them, the grim and deadly thing that walked by night, the lone wolf, creature of pillage and rapine, scourged slave of that self which knew no law then slowly that obsession lifted like the passing of a nightmare and with a start a little shiver and a sigh lanyard roused and went on to do the bidding of his self for its unfathomable ends Dropping silently to the soft, damp turf, he made himself one with the shadows of the park, as mute, intangible, and fugitive as they, until presently, coming out beneath the stars on an open lawn running up to the library wing of the hotel, he approached a shallow stone balcony which jutted forth eight feet above the lawn, An elevation so inconsiderable that, with one bound grasping its stone balustrade, the adventurer was upon it in a brace of seconds. Nor did the long French windows that opened on the balcony offer him any real hindrance. A penknife quickly removed the dried putty around one small, lozenge-shaped pane, then pried out the pane itself. A hand through this space readily found and turned the latch a cautious pressure opened the two wings far enough to admit his body and he stood inside the library he had made no sound and thanks to thorough familiarity with the ground he needed no light the screen of cinnabar afforded all the protection he required and because he meant to accomplish his purpose and be out of the house with the utmost expedition he didn't trouble to explore beyond a swift casual review of the adjoining salons the clock was chiming the three-quarters as he knelt behind the screen and grasped the combination knob but he did not turn it that mellow music died out slowly and left him transfixed there in the silence and gloom his eyes staring wide into blackness at nothing his jaw set and rigid his forehead knotted and damp with sweat his hands so clenched that the nails bit deep into his palms While he looked back over the abyss yawning between the lone wolf of tonight and the man who had, within the week, knelt in that spot, in company with the woman he loved, bent on making restitution that his soul might be saved through her faith in him. He was visited by clear vision of himself. The thief caught in this crime by his conscience, or whatever it was, what for want of a better name he must call his conscience this thing within him that revolted from his purpose mutinied against the dictates of his self and stopped his hand from reaping the harvest of his cunning and daring this sense of honour and of honesty that in a few brief days had grown more dear to him than all else in life knitting itself inextricably into the fibre of his being so that to deny it were against nature he closed his eyes to shut out the accusing vision and knelt on unstirring though torn this way and that in the conflict of man's dual nature minutes passed without his knowledge but in time he grew more calm his hands relaxed the muscles of his brow smoothed out he breathed more slowly and deeply his set lips parted and a profound sigh whispered in the stillness a great weariness upon him he rose slowly and heavily from the floor and stood erect free at last and for from that ancient evil which so long had held his soul in bondage and in that moment of victory through the deep hush reigning in the house he detected an incautious footfall on the parquetry of the reception-hall End of chapter twenty one recording by william tomko